Pope Francis was in Greece, and while he was entering into an ecumenical meeting with Greek Orthodox leaders, a monk, a hero monk, a priest monk, shouted out, Pope, you are a heretic. Pope, you are a heretic. Over and over, as the Pope left his car and went into the building, I'll go ahead and run the clip in case you haven't seen it yet. Let's see, here it is. Minimize some of this other stuff, and here we go. So, hereticos is heretic. So what's interesting about this is, real quick, so at the very beginning of the clip, all the journalists and all the people have their cameras and their phones. Uh, you can see Francis there. He's in the white Zucchetto. He's right at the gate about to enter. And as it progresses, once you hear the Papa, everyone turns the camera. So watch this. And turn. And then they take him down. Uh, I don't, I don't know how he ended up on the ground, but um. So there it is. Okay, so what we're gonna do today in today's podcast is we're going to discuss this idea: uh, Can the Pope be a heretic, and is there any significance for a Greek Orthodox to call? the Roman Pope, a heretic. That's today's podcast. And uh, welcome everybody to the podcast. If you are new, please go ahead and hit the subscribe button. All my controls are missing today in this live podcast. Let's see if I can get them back on. Nope. Well, darn. Sometimes things just don't work. Well, I guess we'll go ahead and we'll pray the Our Father, and I won't be able to put the words up on the screen. Hopefully you know them by now. Nope, they're completely gone. Okay, that's fine. Let us pray the Our Father together, and then we'll get into the information. In nomine Patris, et Fidii, et Spiritus Sancti, Amen. Pater Noster, qui es in celi, sanctificetur nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, secut in cello et in terra. Panum nostrum quotidianum da nobis odie et dimite nobis debita nostra. Sicut et nos dimitimus debitoribus nostris et nenos inducas in tentationem. Se libera nos amalo. Amen. Nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. All right, welcome everyone. Unfortunately, my end of everything I'm seeing here seems to be broken. That's unfortunate. The only way for me to fix it is to end this uh what do you call it stream and try to fix it another way but i just think i got, I got all these people in here we're ready to go so we are going to have to use it without okay so the a greek orthodox priest what's what's kind of ironic about it is francis is meeting with greek orthodox bishops 
and they're going to take photos and it's going to be all this sort of ecumenical gestures and dialogue. Meanwhile, there's an elderly monk outside saying, Pope, Papa, you are a heretic. You are a heretic. Papa, you are a heretic. What is the significance of this? Well, you need to understand that the Eastern Orthodox Church have held that the Pope is heretical for almost a thousand years, formally. That's why there were excommunications. And if you go back to the debates that even predate, in a way, Photius, you see that there's the language of heresy tossed around for Roman priests not having beards, even for things like having crosses in the ground, in the marble, in the churches, because they say people might step on the cross. That's not good. Uh, the Easterns didn't like Christ depicted as a lamb. They said he's not a lamb, he's a man. People in the West, popes were like, we know that. Um, in fact, the Agnus Dei was added into the Roman Mass at this time period, maybe as a booyah. We know that Christ isn't a lamb, but John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Um, Eastern Christians have used the H word, thrown around the H word for the use of unleavened bread in the Roman sacrifice of the Mass. And then, of course, we get into the big leagues where we talk about the filioque clause, which is in the Nicene Creed in the Latin West. Originally was not part of the Latin Nicene Creed, certainly not part of the original Greek Niceno-Constantinopolitan Creed, but added during the post-Carolingian period, because you have to remember over in what we know as Spain and also in parts of Middle Eastern Germanic Europe, there were Aryan Christians still thriving. And uh, one of the ways to bring them back into orthodoxy was to stress the divinity of Christ. And it was seen as expedient to include that the Holy Ghost proceeds from the Father and the Son. Filioque is Latin for and the Son. Proceeds from the Father. Filioque. The Easterners didn't like that. And I can understand that. Again, I'm not one who wants to see any changes even to the Roman Mass. And, of course, the Creed also is very important. So I'm sympathetic uh, to their apologetic and to their argument on that. Um, I guess I don't... Obviously, I don't think the Filioque way is heretical or I wouldn't be a Roman Catholic. Um, it's present in St. Cyril. It's present in Church Fathers. I would even argue it's present in the New Testament in the Gospels, by the teaching of Christ, and at the very end of the book of Revelation, the Apocalypse, it talks about how the living waters, which is the Holy Ghost, proceed from the Father and the Son. It's right there at the end of the New Testament in the Apocalypse. By the way, here on YouTube and wherever else my podcast is syndicated, there is an 18-part commentary, audio commentary by me going through every line of the Apocalypse, the book of Revelation. People benefit from it. They like it. It's free. If you're interested in the Apocalypse, the Book of Revelation, uh, just search Book of Revelation, Catholic, Taylor Marshall, those words together, and you'll find that series. I think maybe y'all in the comments, if you've listened to it, you can recommend it to other people. Um, since the 11th century and 13th century, there is also um, the accusation of heresy regarding 
the Immaculate Conception of Our Blessed Lady, something also I fondly believe and hold dear as a Roman Catholic Christian. The Eastern Church has problems with the term original sin. They do use the phrase ancestral sin, and you will see them use that. Um, they claim there's distinctions. Uh, I've looked into it. I'm not so sure. But because of that, they don't like the dogma of the Immaculate Conception, which was declared by Pope Pius IX, and they will sometimes call that heretical. They use the H word quite a bit towards us Roman Catholics. They don't like that we baptize babies by effusion or by sprinkling instead of dunking them. Um, they don't like that we separate confirmation or chrismation from baptism. I don't either, honestly. Um, they don't like that we delay communion to the age of reason at age six, seven, eight. I honestly don't like that either. In fact, if you read St. Cyprian in the West and St. Augustine in the West, both writing in Latin, they refer to infants receiving communion in the West, in the Latin church. That was the historic original practice. Um, so anything else? Not that I can... I think that covers it. I mean, the really big ones for the Eastern Orthodox versus the Roman Catholics are the filioque, and then underneath that would be the Immaculate Conception. Oh, I forgot also the essence, energies distinction, which has never been denied or anathematized by the Roman Catholic Church, but it is a very important teaching amongst the Eastern Orthodox. It's the idea that the energies, the activities of Almighty God are God, but not his essence. This is something that St. Thomas Aquinas would not allow and would not accept. Uh, Thomas Aquinas allows for the light of glory uh, in making baptized people in the afterlife, in heaven, what he would call deiform or deiformitas, in the form of God, united to God, in the beatific vision. These are all the languages that we use in the Latin West. In the East, they're using the participation within the energies of God, which they say are God. And then in the West, the question arises, well, how can there be a plurality of energies? Some more responsible Eastern Orthodox apologist will actually say that the energies are, although they are pluriform, they are actually one as well. I don't want to get into that, and it's a very complicated topic. Even Eastern Orthodox theologians themselves debate some of these distinctions. The reason I bring up all these topics is that a Greek Orthodox monk shouting, Pope, you are a heretic, is not significant. In fact, I imagine if you went to Mount Athos today, you would find monk, uh, monks there saying, yes, the Pope is a heretic. And if you went in the 1960s to Mount Athos, you would find Greek monks there saying, yes, the Pope is a heretic. And if you went to Mount Athos during the reign of Pope Pius X, they would say Pius X was a heretic. You could go back even to Pius V in the second half of the 1500s, they would say that he is a heretic. Why? Because he recites the creed with the filioque clause. All right. That being said, did this Greek Orthodox priest accuse publicly Francis of being a heretic 
because of the filioque clause, or was there something else? Was there something else? Notably, Francis himself has said that he has perhaps taught something heretical. I'm going to show you this clip. You're going to have to follow the subtitles. But let me get, see if I can cue this up next. This is a, a video that I think most of you have not seen. Let me see if I can make this a little bit better. Make sure you can read the subtitles. And we're off to the races. Here it is. Francis is going to say something. He's going to say, I want to say something controversial, perhaps heretical. Here it is. Decir algo que puede ser una insensatez. O quizás una herejía. No sé. Pero hay alguien que sabe que pese a las diferencias somos uno y es el que nos persigue el que persigue hoy día a los cristianos que nos unge con el martirio sabe que los cristianos son discípulos de Cristo, que son uno, que son hermanos, so, para is... que el mundo crea. And one more time here, one more time. Y me viene a la mente decir algo que puede ser una insensatez. O quizás una herejía, no sé. Pero... So there it is. I mean, I just, he's basically saying, you know, there's different groups of Christians being persecuted. You've got Eastern Christians, you've got the Miaphysite, non-Chalcedonians, the Eastern Orthodox, Catholics, Protestants, persecution going on. And what he's saying is, I want to say something controversial, perhaps even heretical, I don't know, but we're all one, right? And this is kind of a problem because in the Catholic Church, Membership in the unity, the fullness of unity, is in one church. Christ instituted one church. And the problem here is that Francis, who's saying, I am Pope, is saying, I may be saying something heretical here. And that's never good. That's never good. Right? You, as a father, you know, Papa means father. So I'm a, I'm a daddy. I'm a Papa in my own domicile. Not a perfect one, but by God's grace, hopefully doing okay. If I say something to my kids like, hey, I'm about to teach you something that's contrary to Jesus. I don't know. And then I teach them. That's not a real good catechetical method. Especially when you are the vicar of Christ and you represent the magisterium of the Catholic Church and you're supposed to be preserving the deposit of faith dogma of the faith not real good not real good the other one that's important besides talking about amoris laetitia and francis saying that the death penalty is not admissible when we have had dozens of popes say that it is are the teachings of francis regarding 
Martin Luther. And that's why I included this image today. You'll remember about a month ago, we talked about this statue of Martin Luther. The blue scarfs on the table represent Protestantism, Lutheranism, and the yellow represents Catholicism and the Vatican. And they've mixed them up here. Rah, rah, silly, silly ecumenism. And they put a statue of Martin Luther with the yellow bandana on it. And I jokingly said that this is the chocolate Easter bunny Martin Luther. It looks like a giant chocolate Easter bunny, um, but it's a Martin Luther. Or then we did a poll, or does it actually look like the Martin Luther version of Mrs. Butterworth? And the poll actually went with Mrs. Butterworth. So this is the Mrs. Butterworth Martin Luther statue. It's appeared, as far as I know, twice in the Vatican. And by the way, a little fun fact, in that top right corner, see that guard right there? That's the guard who was with me the day that I gave Pope Francis the copy of Infiltration. Do I have that image out here? No, I don't. But that's the same guy. I thought that was interesting. When I was looking at this picture, I was like, hey, that's the guy who was kind of watching me when I was talking with Francis and giving him a copy of Infiltration. I'm trying to find a picture of it, but I can't. I'm striking out. You know, you'd think I would just have that picture always ready to go, but I don't. I'm scrolling, scrolling. No, it's just a straight-up strikeout today. Mea culpa. All right. Now, Francis and Luther. Here's what Francis said in 2016. And it shows, you know, I asked in the beginning in the poll, do you think that Francis has ever said anything that's heretical materially? There's a difference between formal heresy and material heresy. Formal heresy is where you say, I know the church teaches this. I know Jesus Christ and the apostles teach this. This, but I teach not this. I formally reject the teachings of Jesus Christ and the apostles. That's formal heresy. Material heresy is where you're, you're believing something heretical or wrong, but it's not your fault. You don't know it, right? So let's just say you grew up in a Catholic home and you never heard in mass that there were seven sacraments in your whole life. Your mom and dad told you that there were eight sacraments. Let's say they, uh, they wrongly taught you that the eighth sacrament was becoming a monk or a nun. It's not a sacrament, but they taught you that. In your whole life, you believed in eight sacraments, and then, you know, when you turned 15, you died. Well, you technically were a material heretic. You held, there was matter in your mind that was heretical. But it wasn't your fault. You never made an act of the will to say, I am rejecting the Council of Trent and adding a sacrament. It was just a mistake. So you're not held responsible for that. So in the poll, I'm asking you, I'm not judging the soul of Francis Jorge Bergoglio, either pre or post 2013. But I asked, do you think he's ever said anything materially heretical? And I'm going to share, I would answer yes. And I'm going to share the quote with you. So this is from the 2016 interview with Francis, where he praises Martin Luther. Are you ready? Here we go. Francis says, quote, I think that the intentions of Martin Luther were not mistaken. He was a reformer. Perhaps some methods were not correct, but in that time, if we read the story of the pastor, a German Lutheran, 
who then converted when he saw reality, he became Catholic. In that time, the church was not exactly a model to imitate. There was corruption in the church. There was worldliness, attachment to money, to power, and this he protested. Then he was intelligent and took some steps towards justifying, and because he did this. And today, Lutherans and Catholics, Protestants, all of us agree on the doctrine of justification. Francis goes on to say, on this point, which is very important, he did not err. He made a medicine for the church, end quote. There are three erroneous statements here. The first, well, actually, could you could say four. The first one is Luther was not mistaken. That's number one. We're going with four here. Number two, he was intelligent and took some steps towards justifying. And because he did this, and today many Catholics, Lutherans, and Protestants, all of us agree on the doctrine of justification. That is not true. It's absolutely not true. Lutherans believe that, and I pardon for using the foul language, but this is Lutheran vocabulary, that because of our sins, we are unclean to God, which is true. We need purgation. That's why I have purgatory and penance and sacraments, which is the blood of Christ being applied to us over time through a process of sanctification. That's what we believe as Catholics. The Lutherans reject all of that, and they just say, look, you're basically, pardon the foul language, but the Lutheran idea is that you are a turd covered with snow. And so no one smells it, no one sees it. You're covered over with the righteousness of Christ. The justice, the righteousness of Christ is imputed to you. As if I got a piece of paper and it says here that uh, John B. Smith owes $1 million. And so I just write on here, no, he doesn't. Debt cleared. And it's taken off with just a check of a piece of paper. That's how Luther understands justification. It's imputed. The Council of Trent, following the Church Fathers, in particular St. Augustine, says that righteousness or justice is infused, not imputed. It is infused. Infused means poured into. Like I took a glass of water and I poured it into another glass. That's infusion. What happens in justification is that the righteousness of Christ, the holiness of Christ, is placed within us by faith. The instrument of that placement is baptism. And then over time, through cooperation with divine grace, we actually become more righteous and more holy. It's a journey. Salvation is a journey. It is the climb up a mountain. It is the marathon that we must run and we must cross the finish line. If we die before crossing the finish line, there's what we call post-mortem purgation. That's what we call purgatory. In this life, it's not enough to just say, I, I believe in Jesus, and like, congratulations, you're done. That's the Lutheran understanding. The Catholic understanding is, I believe in Jesus. So like, congratulations, here's a number, post it on your shirt. You're now going to run a marathon. Well, running a marathon's hard. Don't worry. God will be in you, giving you strength to run the marathon. Was it going to hurt and be hard? Yes. Running the Catholic marathon is going to hurt 
and it's going to take a long time and a lot of sweat and a lot of blisters and maybe some tears and maybe a breakdown sitting on a curb and then thinking, okay, I got to keep going. Let's get up. I got four more miles. Let's finish the marathon. That's Catholicism. It's not as comfortable as the Lutheran and the Protestant evangelical doctrine, which is heretical, by the way. Christ talks about, you know, take up your cross daily and follow me. It's not a once saved, always saved. And he talks about, so does Paul, the continual struggle of bearing the cross, of being conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. And so what God does is, is we're ugly, we're, we're broken, we're shattered. All these things have happened to us. The wounds of sin, original sin, and then our own sins over time accumulate and create more and more damage in our body and in our minds. And so what happens is we have the sacraments and we have devotions and we have all these things that are purifying and compressing us into a diamond so that when we arrive at heaven's gates, God willing, we are pure. We have been made into the version of you that God wants to be a saint, capital S, saint. Say your name and put the word saint in front of it. That's what Jesus Christ died on the cross for you to receive. And yes, it's going to be a journey with blood, sweat, tears, blisters, and a sore shoulder carrying the cross. But all the way, he's giving you energy. He's giving you grace. He's giving you joy. That's the Catholic version. By the way, I wrote a book on all this, especially if you come from a Protestant background or you know someone who has a Protestant background. It's called The Catholic Perspective on Paul. And I explain how it is that St. Paul, in particular, teaches not the Lutheran doctrine of justification, but the Catholic doctrine of justification. I will, there's a certain level, I can't remember what it is, but on uh, Patreon, patreon.com, I will send you a signed copy of this book for certain supporters. I can't remember what what level it is, but uh, if you want to learn more and get a signed copy of this, go to patreon.com forward slash dr taylor marshall that's dr taylor marshall well how can it be then that francis says that lutherans and catholics agree on the doctrine of justification that's error number two the third point is francis says on this point which is very important luther did not err e-r-r i know some people say err i was taught to say err what's right i don't even know I'm just a guy in Texas. I don't know. But I say er. Which one is it? Y'all let me know. But here Francis say that Luther did not err. He did not make an error. That's wrong. His <laughs> Hundreds of his statements are contradicted by Catholic theology. Dozens of his teachings are corrected and contradicted by the Council of Trent. For example, that we are justified by faith alone. That is against the teaching of Paul, it's against the teaching of St. James, and it's against the teaching of the Council of Trent. So why can Francis Bergoglio come along and say that Luther did not make an error? 
in what alternative universe are we living in where Francis is telling us that Luther, Martin Luther, the man who slaughtered and chopped up the body of Christ in the 1500s, promoted more heresy and more schism than there's ever been in the whole church. He got skizzy with it. Na, 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 na. And Francis in 2016 is saying he did not make an error. And then the fourth and final mistake that Francis makes here with regard to the, this heresy is he says, Luther made a medicine for the church. What was that medicine, Francis? How did Luther, who approved, who approved of a prince having two wives while they were both still alive, who said the most violent and, and what's the word? Yeah, violent, violent and hateful words against the Jews of Germany. Who said the most violent and disgusting words against the papacy that referred to his flatulence, flatulence, disgusting. Luther, who mocked the holy sacrifice of the mass and said that the mass was idolatry because Catholics, laity, and priests worshipped the host and worshipped the precious blood. Luther said the mass was idolatry. And here Francis is saying he made a medicine for the church. Are you crazy? How can anyone honestly believe that Martin Luther made medicine for the church? He started with what he thought would be the true Luther church, the Lutheran church. And that splintered and got skizzy. Schisms everywhere. So that I stopped counting. It used to be, you know, when you watched Journey Home on EWTN, they would say 37,000 denominations, but that was 15 years ago. Now, how many denominations are there? 50,000? I don't know. How is that medicine for the church? Division, 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 heresy, heresy, heresy. And remember, it was Francis who said, I might be remembered as the one who divided the church what kind of a man says this who claims to be the vicar of Christ? Well, he apparently isn't using that title very much anymore. And you just saw him minutes ago saying, I'm about to say something perhaps heretical. Who says that? Who says this? Can you imagine if you were at Mass? You're at the traditional Latin mass and the traditional priest says, hey, now I'm going to say something that could be heretical from the pulpit. It's like you, 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 you reach over to your children and cover their ears. Heresy is poison. Heresy is more damaging than any virus that has ever spread on planet Earth because heresy goes into your soul and it confuses you from the inside out. And it leads to moral decay and moral problems. And like a virus, heresy spreads. Heresy is contagious. 
So why do we have Francis promoting heretics like Luther and saying, I might say something heretical. So this occasion of the Greek priest saying, you are a heretic, I don't find it all that interesting because like I said in the beginning, traditionally, the schismatic Greeks have always claimed that popes were heretical. They think even the idea of supreme jurisdiction of the papacy is itself heretical. They will not accept it. They will not submit to it like we Roman Catholics do. But it does give us the moment to once again circle back to the question, what is going on with Francis? I said it before, I'll say it again. In certain occasions, he does the exact opposite of what you would expect a pope to do. We saw it with Nancy Pelosi. We saw it with Joe Biden. Abu Dhabi agreement that God wills the diversity of religions? How can God will Hinduism? Yeah, but Taylor, he was talking about like permissive will. No, because in the same statement, he's in the same sentence, he says that God wills the diversity of the two sexes, male and female. That's God's positive will. He allows there to be false religions, but that's not the same. That's not, You can't say that in the same sentence that God's will for male and female is the same kind of willing for all their all the different religions. Doesn't work. Bishop Schneider tried to get this clarified. It, does, it never really got clarified. You can't parse one part of the sentence, active will, and another part of the sentence, passive will, without adding words, which were never done. There was no footnote. There was no clarification. I've also mentioned before St. Robert Bellarmine. He gives the five opinions on can a pope be a heretic? Let me open that up. There are five opinions, Bellarmine says. Number one, the Pope could never be a heretic, ever, ever, ever. That's one opinion. Number two, the Pope is deposed the minute he falls into secret heresy. So even if he's sitting by himself eating breakfast one morning, he's eating a croissant and an espresso, maybe he's smoking a cigarette like St. Pius X. St. Pius X smoked one cigarette per day. If you read my book, Infiltration, you'd know that. And he says, you know what? I think there's eight sacraments. Yeah, there's definitely eight sacraments. I know the church always taught seven, but I think the papacy is the eighth sacrament, and I'm the pope. So, yeah. Opinion number two would say even in his mind, if he thought a heresy, he would cease being pope. That's one theory. The third theory is a pope cannot be deposed either by secret or manifest heresy. So this would be he could think a heretical thing or he could just come out and preach sermons every single day, every single Sunday, papacy's eight sacrament, something heretical. Or Martin Luther's doctrine of justification is orthodox and good. And this third opinion would be even if he did that, he wouldn't lose the papacy. Number four is manifestly heretical pope is not ipso facto deposed, 
but can be deposed by the church. So this theory is the Pope's comes out and says a bunch of heretical stuff or one heretical thing. The Cardinals could assemble a trial and then depose him. That's the fourth view. And then the fifth view, which is the view, Bellarmine sort of endorses one and then five as a backup. The fifth view is a Pope who is a manifest heretic ceases to be Pope, head, and Christian. Therefore, he can be judged and punished by the church. So as soon as he's manifestly a, heret uh, a heretical, uh, her a heretic, he ceases to be Pope, which would be contrary to what the Greek priest said, because he said, Papa, you are hereticos. Bellarmine would say if he's hereticos, he can't be Papa. It doesn't work. If you want to learn more about that, um, this is the book that you need. St. Robert Bellarmine. And this is on the Roman Pontiff in five books, translated by Ryan Grant. And you can see all my all my notes and my highlights. And as you know, I'm interested in this topic. Well, there it is. We'll continue to cover some of these things. Earlier today, I did a fun show. I talked about our families, how we practice the feast day of St. Nicholas, who was a great defender against heretics like Arius. He H-slapped Arius, that is, he heretic-slapped him because he was saying that Christ was a creature and then Nicholas just had no more of that, got up and whoosh. But our family has devotions to St. Nicholas and I talked about those today, including a question I got saying, does the idea of Santa Claus bastardize the person and tradition of the real St. Nicholas? And I discussed that in this morning's podcast. So there's been two podcasts today. This is the second one. If you want to learn more about St. Nicholas and how we do St. Nicholas at our house, for example, here's a picture from last night of our setup. The kids got some cookies there and an icon of St. Nicholas, some carrots, some milk. And I explained everything, how that got set up and what happens at night and what happens the next day. So check that out. And of course, just the easy thing to do, my friends, is to subscribe. So you can go to my page on YouTube and just hit that red subscribe button. Or here in the bottom right corner, you can hit the subscribe and the bell there and you'll be notified every time I go live. Of course, please give this video the thumbs up like. I appreciate it. And um, YouTube doesn't care about Greek priests and popes, so please share this video on Facebook so people see it. And thanks to all those, the Patreon subscribers. I do appreciate you. Um, oh, if you want to move to a traditional place, go to realestateforlife.org. They'll help you get connected to a Catholic pro-life realtor who can help you find, sell your home and maybe find a home in a more traditional area with traditional Catholic Latin mass and priests, etc. And if you do take that route, let them know that you heard about it on the Dr. Taylor Marshall podcast show. All right. Well, pray that rosary every day. If you don't pray the rosary, you're not on the team. This Wednesday is the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. It's a holy day of obligation. Does that mean you have to go to Mass? Yes, it means you get to go to Mass, but you also have to go to Mass. Go to Mass. Thank God for Our Lady. She is the mother of fair love. 
She's all pure. She loves you more than you could ever possibly know because you are redeemed by her son. And she will pray for you and she will assist you. And the best way to get to know Jesus is through Mary because Jesus chose to come to us here in space-time through Mary. Praying the rosary is the fastest, easiest, simplest way to perform that, to go to Jesus through Mary. So pray your rosary every day or you're not on the team. All right, we'll close up with the prayers. I got the prayers back on here, so we're going to do the Ave Maria. Oremos. Nomine Patris et Fidei et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, or prenobis peccatoribus, nunc et mortis nostre. Amen. Gloria Patri, Filio, Spiritui Sancto, sicuterat in principio, et nunc et semper, et in secula, seculorum. Amen. Our Lady, the Immaculate Conception, pray for us. Nomine Patris, et Filii, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. All right, friends, have a good Advent. Have a blessed St. Nicholas Day. Also on Instagram, you can follow me on Instagram. I'm doing live short videos where I answer and do Q&A just when I'm hanging out and I have some free time. So if you if you want to be part of those, go to Instagram and you can find me. Just search Dr. Taylor Marshall, Dr. Taylor Marshall, and you can see I'm doing live videos there. Also over there, we've been talking about some NFTs non-fungible tokens for the Dr. Taylor Marshall Show. Are you interested in that? Many people are. So we're going to try to figure that out. So um, let me know in the comments here. Um, if you're interested in NFTs, you can own something of the show. You can own a word, a video. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Till next time, remember, our Lord Jesus Christ says you're the light of the world and the salt of the earth. So go out there and be salty. God bless. Godspeed and St. Nicholas, pray for us.